0: It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome back, everybody. Good to have you here. It is the first episode of Money for Lunch in 2022. This is crazy. 2022 is here uh, and we're starting off kind of unusually weird stuff happening in the stock market. And usually in January, we get this pop in the stock market, right? Uh, earning reports are, are, are going to be coming out soon, and uh, you start hearing about all the great, uh, what do you call it, uh, all the retail numbers, all the online purchasing numbers, all that stuff is, coming, uh, is usually coming out. Interestingly enough, though, 40% Forty percent of the Nasdaq stocks are down by fifty percent. So if you're an investor now, may be a good time for you to consider buying more of what you love. And uh, you know, there's a lot of bargains out there. Lot of great, uh, great possibilities to uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, prepare for your future. All right. Speaking of preparing for your future, let's talk about. Uh, uh, filing a VA claim today. I'm going to be joined by uh, Francis Jackson, and Francis Jackson is a lawyer that specializes in veterans' claims. Let's see. Uh, he is he's a he's been a regular on the show for several years now, um, and the work that he does is incredibly incredibly important. I cannot stress how important the work that him and his uh, team does to help our brave men and women. So um, it's, just, it's just an important thing, and I don't want to waste a lot of time. Um, I want to get him on so we can talk about the mechanics of filing a veteran's claim. Francis Jackson, welcome back. Thanks, Bert. Always a pleasure to be here with you. You bet, you bet, and, and you know what? And, and and this is again something that is that is very important, and, and obviously very important to to the families that are involved and and, and the veterans that are involved, and uh, So so let's let's dive into this. Uh, what is the first step, um, as far as starting a VA claim?
1: Well, the very first step, Bert, is you have to. Uh... Uh, now file a claim on a form prescribed by the VA and that uh, that never used to be the case used to be you could uh, send in any any sort of uh, thing and just tell the VA that you wanted to start a claim and they were obligated to work with you on it. but now you have to use the specific forms that the VA has and that you can find them on their website at www.va.gov and the, uh, the tricky part these days is trying to figure out which form to fill out. So if you have an initial claim, you've never made a claim before, or you've made a claim before and it's been granted, and say you've got a 10% rating, and you think it's gotten worse and you want to file a claim for an increase, or you want to file a claim for uh, a <clears throat> some form of malpractice at the VA hospital in your treatment, All of those get filed on a form called the 526EZ. But if you want to file a claim for PTSD, you have to file the 526EZ plus the 210781. And if you uh, have filed before and gotten turned down, this time you have to file on a supplemental claim, and that's on the 20-0995 form. But if you're applying for a pension, then it's the 21P 527EZ form, or if you're applying for additional benefits because you have dependents and you're at a level where you can get dependent benefits, that's the 2168C form. Or if you're applying for benefits based on a deceased spouse who was a veteran or deceased parent who was a veteran, that's the 21P534EZ. Or if you're applying for burial benefits for that veteran it's the twenty one p five thirty so you know the uh, the v a never makes it simple but the the forms themselves are actually uh, better than they used to be that's what these easy designations are about. They've looked at them and, and made them somewhat simpler but it's uh, it's an issue for folks who aren't um, familiar with this stuff even to to kind of get started but one, one good thing is you had another form called a Notice of Intent to File, the 210996 form, um, and that one is uh, is interesting. That lets you send in this very simple form that says, hey, I intend to file a claim. And what it does is it starts the time running <clears throat> that the VA will count for retroactive benefits if and when the claim is granted. And so if you file a any of the other forms within one year after that Notice of Intent to File form, then the time in between still counts toward the potential back benefits if you uh, ultimately get granted.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Now, okay, so let me ask you something, because I know when it comes to things like uh, – Let's say personal injuries or contract law or anything in the law. There's this thing called the statute limitations that that if if you go that uh, you have a certain amount of time to file a claim or file a lawsuit or whatever the the situation is. It, does, does the VA have some kind of statute limitations?
1: There's really only one, Bert, for, um, for a. For a living, breathing veteran, there's essentially no statute of limitations. You can file whenever. The the only rule that comes into that kind of realm of the statute of limitations is if you are the spouse or child or someone else claiming uh, on the benefit account, <clears throat> excuse me, of a veteran who has died, you must file the claim within one year of the death in order to pursue any claims that the veteran had pending at the time he died. So say for example, uh, I'm a a veteran, I've filed for PTSD, a depression, and sadly I die. If my spouse or child or anyone else that might be entitled um, files a claim for what are called accrued benefits, meaning the benefits that I had applied for that had not been acted on and paid by the time I died, that has to be filed within one year. All of the other claims, whether it's by a spouse or by the veteran themselves, can be filed at any time. There There is no time limit.
0: Gotcha, gotcha all right so um if I'm a veteran, I file my uh, my claim uh, what's the what's the process I, so my claim has been filed and and the process or the next step is what what happens next
1: well essentially, Bert, there are really just four phases or pieces to, to the process, if you will. The first one is obviously to gather all the information. And uh, if if the person has already established a uh, one or more claims with the VA, whether they've been granted or not, there will be a, a claims file at the VA. And so one of the things that you want to do as part of the information gathering process is to get that file so you can see what information the VA has. It's typically also very helpful to uh, get the person's personnel file from when they were in the service. Uh, That often has uh, important information showing how a claim might be related to their service. So that's kind of the first piece, gathering all the information. The second piece is to assess all the possible claims even if you filed a claim or more than one it's important to look at all the possibilities and make sure that every potential claim has been filed and one of the things that uh, is is an ongoing problem is that veterans are not very well informed about what kinds of claims they can file and uh, how to how to file them so Even veterans who have have filed claims, we often find when they first come to us and talk to them that there are other claims that could have and should have been filed that haven't been or claims that were previously filed and were denied that um, we think have merit and should be reopened. So that second step is kind of assessing all the possible claims and trying to make sure that everything that... um, is potentially eligible for service connection has been filed. And then the third step, of course, is to present all those claims to the VA. And when I say to present the claims, I don't just mean to file the form, which starts the process, but to provide the VA with the information that shows um, how the, uh, the problem occurred, you know, whether there was a uh, person hurt their back in the service. Um, so any any uh, you know any claim you can you can and, and need to explain to the VA how uh, this uh, came about and how it has a relationship to service. And then finally, the last part is supporting the claim, and that kind of melds in with what we were just talking about, about uh, showing the information about the claim. But critically, in almost all claims, there is a requirement for showing what the VA calls a nexus. And by that, they mean a connection medically to some illness or event that occurred in service. And you know that can be <coughs> shown by a, a psychologist's evaluation if this is a mental health claim, or a, an expert physician, if it's a physical claim, um, and as you and I have talked about on some occasions in the past, sometimes there are special legal rules called presumptions that make the connection for the veteran between say exposure to Asian Orange in Vietnam and current lung cancer, for example okay. but um in most cases, there is no presumption, and you have to pro- you have to introduce medical evidence showing the relationship between the uh, person's service and the current medical problem. So those are the pieces of of the process, if you will.
0: You know, in the past, uh, you and I have talked about ratings, and so once a claim, and you walk me through this step here because. Uh, once the claim is accepted, uh, then is that when the rating, ratings kick in? And, or maybe you can explain when the ratings kick in and exactly what is a rating?
1: Sure. Well, you, you, uh, you had your finger on it.
0: A rating occurs
1: when the claim is granted. So say, for example, um, you uh, make a claim that you hurt your back in the service. Now, the VA has what they call a schedule of ratings. And the schedule says, okay, for a back claim, if you have these findings, we're going to rate your claim at 10%. If you have these findings, we're going to rate your claim at 20%. If you have these really bad findings, we're going to rate your claim at 40%. So it's it's um, the rating is the assessment of the severity of the claim. And the VA has these rating schedules that obviously are necessarily somewhat arbitrary, but they provide a stepwise rating, depending on levels of severity, for uh, any claim that you can make. And so um, one of the things that you um, need to do in every case is to make sure that you've submitted the medical evidence that shows the severity of the claim so that you can get the person the highest possible rating. And ratings can change over time. Uh, Typically they go up once in a while, they people improve and they go down, but um, that's less common. But in terms of going up, the way it works, say that you hurt your knee in the service and you know, uh, a few years later you're having trouble with it and you go to the VA and they rate it and they say, okay, yeah, we, we agree that this is connected to your service and, um, you know, you, you're, not, you're not doing too badly, so we're going to rate this at 10%. But a few years later, your knee really gets bad. You have to have a complete knee replacement and you go back to the VA and say, I'm filing this claim for increase because my knee got worse, and they look at it and they say, "Yep, yeah, you had to have a knee replacement. Okay, we can rate that at 30% now instead of 10%." So, that's what ratings are all about. They they uh, they range from zero. You can you can have a claim that's service connected, but essentially has no current symptoms, and those get a zero rating. But they do offer some protection in case it gets worse in the future. But the, the ratings can range anywhere from zero to hundred um, percent and most kinds of claims, particularly the physical ones, um, have limits below hundred uh, percent there there are very few physical conditions um, you know there's hard conditions and stuff, but there are very few physical conditions that the VA rates any any particular individual claim as high as 100%. But the uh, mental health claims, uh, those can go up to 100% just without any other claim. But typically, what you're you're talking about is there'll be a rating for a particular condition that can increase, as we talked about. But um, more often, what happens is there's more than one claim. So, for example, if you have a bad back and the the um, damaged discs in your back press on the spinal cord, you may have what's called radiculopathy, where the pain runs down the sciatic nerve into the leg. And you can have that on the right leg, the left leg, or both. So you might have a back claim that's rated at 20%, and then ridiculopathy in your left leg that's rated at 10%, and radiculopathy that's worse in your right leg that's rated at 20%. And so you have these ratings, and then what the VA does is they have a a uh, kind of a special math, if you will, and they don't add up the ratings. They have a combined table that they use to assess how the ratings go together to get your overall combined rating and it's it's uh, there's actually a, a, an underlying theory to it I mean it it seems a little strange that you wouldn't just add up the, the, uh, the ratings but the way that the schedule is built the theory behind it is that say for example you have a bad back and it's rated at 40 percent. What the, what the ratings are intended to do is to compensate you for the loss of earning capacity that's generated by the particular condition. So the VA's assumption is that if your back problem is rated at 40%, then you are losing 40% of your earning capacity, and they're going to compensate you at the level of 40%. So if you have another claim that's rated at, say, 20%, and you have another couple of claims that are rated at 10%, they don't just add those up. They, they take the theory that, okay, you had a 40% rating for your back. That leaves 60%. Okay, so now you've got a 20% rating for radiculopathy in the right leg. So that's really... Taking twenty percent of the remaining sixty percent, so instead of twenty percent it becomes essentially twelve percent because it's it's the uh, the twenty percent of the remaining sixty percent and so with each additional claim or each additional rating you now each one goes in that um, com- in that combined rating and they round to the nearest 10%, so either up or down, depending on how it comes out. Um, and so uh, it becomes very difficult for people to get to 100% on these scheduled ratings, because if, if you think about it, it's sort of like the frog that jumps halfway upon, across the pond with each hop. Right. You know, the trick is that the, the frog never gets to the other side, you know he he's always half half the the distance of the last hop uh, away from the other side and that's kind of how the combined rating table ends up working for veterans you can get a large number of of ratings without ever getting all the way to 100% although I mean, that's that's not to say people never do but it's it's uh, it's hard to get there on the on the rating schedule but that's that's how that all works you get you get a rating for each claim it can be increased and sometimes decreased if you improve. And the ratings are combined using the combined rating table based on this theory that each additional uh, percentage rating is a percentage not of the whole 100%, but of the remainder from whatever you were at at the last rating.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. So th- let me ask you this. What are the payments, or, or benefits, or financial benefits that are available for our veterans?
1: Well, as we were just talking about um, they're primarily based on, on uh, particularly in the, in the disability compensation section. The pension is different. We can talk about that separately, but in the in the disability compensation area. Um, if you have a a compensable rating, ten uh, percent or higher, then you get a monthly payment. Currently, uh, for ten uh, percent, it's one hundred and fifty-two dollars and sixty-four cents a month. For twenty percent, it goes up to three hundred and one dollars. And the uh, the ratings above uh, above twenty percent, thirty and up. Um, there's an additional benefit in that there's a, there's a potentially um, small amount added for a spouse but if you're if you're just a single veteran and no dependents at thirty percent it goes up to four hundred and sixty seven dollars and thirty nine cents at forty percent it goes up to six hundred and seventy three dollars and twenty eight cents at fifty percent it goes up to nine hundred and fifty eight dollars and forty four cents at sixty percent it goes up to a thousand two hundred and fourteen oh three at seventy percent it goes up to fifteen hundred and twenty nine dollars and ninety five cents at eighty percent it goes to seventeen hundred and seventy eight dollars and forty three cents at ninety percent you get almost to two thousand it goes to one thousand nine hundred and ninety eight dollars and fifty two cents but the big jump is between ninety and a hundred. Um, as as I just said, ninety percent they pay you just under two thousand. But if you jump that last ten 10% percent to a hundred percent, the payment goes up to three thousand three hundred thirty-two dollars. And so that works out to about thirty-nine thousand a year. Uh, it's actually almost forty thousand a year. And the the thing that uh, makes it particularly significant is there are no taxes taken out of these benefits or, or payable on these benefits. So no income tax, no social security tax, no tax period. So what that means is if you're a veteran rated at 100 percent and you're getting about $40,000 a year, it is effectively the equivalent of having a salaried job or a, a, any job that pays um, about sixty thousand a year because you don't pay that that uh, chunk for taxes. So, it's um, it's a really big deal for people to get from whatever their percentage is up to ninety percent. Uh, up sorry up to a hundred percent. And so that's the that's the ultimate goal in uh, in most of these cases is to see if uh, we can get someone all the way to a hundred percent. But uh, it's, you know, it's, it's not always possible, obviously, but that's that's typically the, uh, the goal. And one of the interesting things that the VA does is they recognize that because of the way these rating schedules work, it's hard to get to 100%, but that you can have disabilities that are service-connected that make it impossible for you to work even though it doesn't get you to 100% on the rating schedule. How so is that? Oh, it's pretty easy. Um, <laughs> Take the example that I, I gave you a little while ago. Guy has a, a terrible bad back, but it's very hard to get rated above uh, 40% for the back. In fact, it's hard to get above 20%. And then he's got, uh, Bad radiculopathy in one leg, 20%, and serious radiculopathy on it, 10%. So it can't be on his feet, can't do any lifting and carrying, can't bend, uh, is in pain all the time. You know, very hard for someone to work in that setting. But the rating that you're going to get from that 20-20-10 is only 40%. And so you're not at 100 um, But what the VA recognizes is that even though people aren't at 100% of the schedule, in the real world, they may be unable to work. And when that happens, there's a a separate section of the regulations that kicks in, 4.16, that says that if you're actually too disabled to work from your service-connected disabilities, um, then the VA will look at whether you are too disabled to work, and if so, they can give you a special benefit called total disability based on individual unemployability. And what that means is the VA has decided that all of your service-connect disabilities collectively make it impossible for you to work. And in that case, there are two uh, paths to get there. One, if you have a single disability really rated at sixty percent, they can consider you for TDIU. And typically that would mean either a serious mental health condition or heart condition. There, there are not a lot of conditions that will get you to sixty percent, you know, for, for one condition, but that's, that's one way to get there. The other possibility is your combined overall rating comes to 70% and one or more of the individual conditions is rated at least 40%. So that's kind of the VA's backdoor, if you will, to letting you get full benefits because you're not able to work, even if you don't get all the way to 100% on the schedule, kind of like the frog never getting quite across the pond. Um, so it's uh, it, it becomes um, a a valuable benefit that uh, we look at for clients all the time. But one one thing that I, I need to stress when talking about that, when you're looking at uh, the combined effects preventing someone from working, you can't consider, or the VA is not allowed to consider any non-service-connected condition. So say you have a totally disabling heart condition that is not service-connected. The VA can't consider that in deciding whether you're uh, entitled to total disability based on unemployability. So it, it's uh, it's always about the service-connected disabilities and how those go together. But it's uh, it can be very complicated to put all the pieces together and get someone to TDIU.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because if somebody is unable to work, I guess because I'm a layman, I don't, under, and, and I don't have the, the, the uh, what do you call it? experience that you have with this kind of clunky rating system, but it, you would think that he'd be rated at a hundred percent or close to a hundred percent because he's unable to work or she's unable to work. But based on what you're explaining is they may only get a 40% rating, which, again, to me doesn't make sense. But then you have this little uh, – this other special thing that that I guess that helps them out. But it seems very weird.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> any, any, anyone looking at the VA rating schedule system from outside would come to that conclusion, I think it's it's very it's it's very artificial
0: um, you know
1: it's not it's not at all like social security disability where well either you're disabled or you're not none of this well you can be you can have a partial rating for this and a partial rating for that and something else but the the v a system is 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 really quite complicated but it is possible to to um uh, kind of Circumvent, if you will, the the effects of the rating schedule, and get people to 100% based on TBIU in a lot of
0: cases. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it it, it sounds like the uh, the team that created the uh, the regulations for the IRS also created the the system for the uh, VA claims, right?
1: <laughs> you 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 would be tempted to think that, although. Sometimes I think the uh, the IRS is simpler, but you
0: know. <laughs> oh, that's that's hysterical! All right, so for for everybody listening, uh, first let's share this episode. It's super important. Let's share with everybody you know, especially families of veterans or people who maybe they're currently in service. Just let's get this information out. If you have questions, let's go to veteransbenefits dot com. Veteransbenefits dot com. Um, And let me ask you this, Francis, uh, what was the motivation or catalyst, if you will, that got you involved in filing or helping out our veterans?
1: Well, Bert, um, I actually got my first case kind of by accident. I I had done a lot of appeals. And someone came to me um, and asked me to take an appeal and said, gee, this, you know, this this isn't local state court appeal. This is in Washington, D.C. And I'm thinking, oh, the D.C. Court of Appeals. Gee, it'd be fun to go and play with the big boys. So um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I looked into it and found, hmm, it's not the D.C. Court of Appeals. It's this other court I've never heard of for veterans' claims. And so I uh, did that one, and that's just as, as the court was starting up. Uh, I, I, that case is actually in, in volume two of the the, the veterans uh, law reporter, but uh, what I found after I got into it, Bert, what I learned was that my dad, who was a World War II veteran and who had uh, some significant health problems in his sixties, but was not able to go back to work, probably was entitled to TBIU, and nobody ever told him that. Nobody ever helped him with that, and. He and my mom struggled financially, you know, uh, for the, for the rest of their lives on pretty modest social security benefits. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, my dad died by the time uh, they had changed the law so that uh, lawyers could uh, start uh, representing veterans. And I, I found out to my chagrin after that, that my dad probably was eligible for TDIU, and they probably shouldn't have had to struggle as badly as that all those years. And I became pretty determined that I would try to make sure that no other vet had that happened to them.
0: Yeah, yeah. That, you know what? That's uh, that is sad, and I think, uh, you know, again, that's uh, what do you call it? Uh, an experience that probably a lot of our veterans are experiencing or have experienced right they're, they they just they don't know what they don't know and you know so they don't know that they're entitled to it they they uh they they and then if they are aware that they're entitled to it then how do you access it uh, it's it's uh yeah it, i i could see how The VA gets away, for lack of better terms, uh, you know, with not getting the benefits to the veterans who deserve it because they simply don't know. And and it's not like the VA has a, a massive marketing budget so they can constantly tell their veterans, hey, you might be entitled to this or entitled to that. They're like any other government agency, and you either know about it or you don't.
1: That's true, Bert. The, the good news is that the Department of Defense has gotten much better over the last few years about hooking people up with the, with the uh, VA as they leave the service. So it's not as big an issue for uh, really recent vets. And by really recent, I'm talking the last five years to 10 years, depending on exactly what you're looking at. But for older vets, it's a real issue. I, 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 uh, just last year, my daughter went to uh, a hearing for a vet that we had just started representing, and she was going through his file in preparation for the hearing and realized that he was probably eligible for claims for PTSD and for diabetes and some other things because of his uh, service in Vietnam. You know, usually we we get the cases um, further out. You know, people tend to come to us um, not just at the last minute before their hearing like this gentleman did. So we'd have time to figure that out and start the claims sooner. But this gentleman, as as it worked out, came to us shortly before his hearing. So we were kind of still in the uh, assessing phase at that point. But Alex went and did the hearing, and uh, also pointed out to him, Gee, you know, I think you're going to be eligible for this and this and this," um, and so they put all that on the record at the hearing, and that uh, that actually constitutes a a, a valid application. Uh, basically, strangely enough, there's a there's a little um, there's a a little exception in the in the whole thing about uh, putting it on the right form that says if you go to the VA and talk to a VA person about Potential claims and they write it down and put it in the record, and that constitutes an application so uh, nice. in effect, he was able to uh, to apply uh, for him right there at the hearing for those other claims. but you know there are so many veterans who who just don't understand what benefits are available um, it's it's sad and I you know based on my experience with my dad I, I try to make sure that anybody we have we, uh, we let them know.
0: Yeah, that, that's incredible. And, and uh, you know, since you've been a regular on the show, um, one of the things that is is uh, incredibly uh, difficult to, to process, some of these veterans wait an enormously long time to get those benefits. If it wasn't for people like you and your team, we're talking veterans who waited like 20 years, if I remember correctly, before their benefits got approved.
1: That's true, Bert. That can happen.
0: And and obviously that's an extreme case, but still, for a layperson to try to deal with all these forms and all these uh, processes and trying to understand the law, it can be extremely overwhelming.
1: That's true, Bert. You know, it's it's tough for, especially for older folks who aren't tech savvy and, and can't, Um, manage the internet as well as some others, and you know, a lot of these folks uh, their only internet connection is a phone, which is not really all that good for things like downloading forms or doing serious research, and it's just, uh, it's really tough for them, and even for people who are are more um, internet-savvy or tech-savvy, certain kinds of claims can be very difficult.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Francis, we're out of time. I want to thank you so much for stopping by. Looking forward to having you back again soon.
1: Thanks so much, Bert. It's always a pleasure.
0: You bet, you bet. Good stuff there from Attorney Francis Jackson on helping you file your veterans claim, your VA claim. Check out veteransbenefits.com. And, again, thank you so much for supporting our program. You can find us on all the big major platforms Uh, Please leave a comment, hit the like button, it helps the algorithm, and again, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate your support, appreciate you stopping by and listening. Remember, you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch, and check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.